Welcome to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. As always, my name is Josh Allen, and I am honored to have with me today Stephen Kelly, who is currently on the Green Coast Springs City Council and is running for re-election. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Josh. Um, yeah, my name is Stephen Kelly. I am currently running for re-election for Green Coast Springs City Council seat five. Nice. Okay. Hey, I'm going to have you pull the microphone a little closer. Okay. There we go. All right, cool. We're actually in... The place where Stephen roasts uh, all the coffee for his coffee shop. So it's pretty cool. If you don't know, Stephen is the owner of uh, Spring Park Coffee here in Green Cove Springs, and he owns Brass Tax. Uh, is it Brass Tax Coffee? Like, what's the official name of the? Yeah, Brass Tax Coffee Company. Um, this is the wholesale part that you're in right now, which we supply our coffee shops and other coffee shops with syrups, coffees, um, and supplies and equipment. Uh, and then we have our retail brass tax coffee and then the spring park coffee that everybody's familiar with in green cove. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. I did. I had no idea. Uh, you know, I told you this before, apparently I don't pay attention. Hey, I had no idea that you were the owner of spring park coffee until a couple of weeks ago. Cause I just, you know, I don't know, wasn't paying attention and I didn't realize that brass tax and spring park were connected. So pretty cool, man. I don't think I've ever been in an actual, uh, coffee roasting, uh, warehouse or shop or factory. I don't know what you call it, but, uh, tell us a little bit about <clears throat> you're currently on, the city council, and you're running for re-election. When you first ran, and now that you're running again, what, what's your motivation for being on city council? Uh, this is uh, my hometown. Uh, we, I was born here in Green Cove Springs, and we moved back here after college and started uh, a couple businesses. Uh, we started out with the florist here in town, Bold Blooms. My wife ran that. And when the Starbucks left, I got involved in the coffee shop. I used it as an opportunity to leave my job at Jacksonville, come back and start a business uh, here in my hometown. Shortly after that, um, people started coming in. Being that we were a coffee shop, they would kind of come in and just pick my brain or, or ask what I thought about different things and then start asking me to get involved. They would invite me to whether we had visioning sessions or meetings at the city, um, different things like that. I, I definitely was doing everything I could. It was kind of in the middle of a recession when we first opened up that shop. I was doing anything and everything I could to try to make this shop successful. And it was a rough start in the beginning. And so I was definitely attuned to pretty much um, everything that was going on locally. Um, I wasn't trying to just have the best, uh, at that time, best coffee shop in, in Green Cove Springs, but I also wanted to eventually create a company that Green Cove Springs would be proud of and, and, and then grow it from there. So I think... Um, uh, it kind of just came down to like, this is where I decided that I was going to come back and raise my family, uh, start my businesses and hopefully make a living. And, uh, it was only natural that I would uh, eventually get involved. And, and then everything that's happened since then has really just kind of set a fire of passion to see everything be done responsibly and intentionally with the growth that's that's going to happen after this like the, I started out being a business owner on the council and now I feel like sometimes my my passion for making sure that we curate Green Cove and really kind of preserve what I moved back here for and what my family moved here for originally has become one of the biggest passion projects that I have now even with all the different businesses and things. So are you guys from the Green Coast Springs or Clay County area? Or, or Oh, yeah. I've yeah. lived here my whole life. Um, I uh, was born in Green Coast Springs, used to live in the what is Broadest Rains Funeral Home. It uh, used to be an optometrist house. I was born there, um, and then um, I was adopted into another Green Coast Springs family that's been here since the 50s. Oh, wow. They came okay. here and moved, uh, moved here to work for Wright's Dairy, uh, and okay. then they've done various 
you know, other jobs they've, they've worked for and retired from. So my family's all in and around Green Cove Springs. So I'm not, not going anywhere. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's uh you know, that's, that's cool to see. Like I'm not from Clay County originally. My dad was in the Navy. We moved here in 96. He got orders. Uh, I think at uh, the Naval air station, you know, out there in the Ortega area. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, we've been here a long time. I, I sort of consider myself a Clay County native. My daughter was born here. Um, you know, got married here. I live out in Middleburg. So it's pretty cool. I, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I'm, there are some folks who are very opposed to people who haven't been in the county for a while running for anything i don't necessarily feel that way but uh but i always think it's interesting to hear stories of people who have been here for a long time that stay because the the cliche with a lot of the especially the small towns here in the county is you know you grow up here you uh you you dream of bigger things and you move on in life you go to college and you do x y and z and you don't really come back so it's cool to see somebody investing uh in the you know in the community that they grew up in right so what what do you like about green cove like what what's your favorite thing if you had to pick one thing what's your favorite thing about being in green cove oh gosh um that's tough because there's a lot of different things but i'd have to say the beauty uh the beauty and the small town feel right here on the saint john's river is special um it's one of the most gorgeous little towns that I've ever been in or visited. And I think it's going to continue being that way if we work really hard uh, and try to preserve that. I also think um, that it's, it's so nice. Anytime you go to an event around here, uh, everybody is familiar with everyone. And even if they're not, it seems like they act like they're familiar or they know you. It's so approachable and special. Um, my, my kids are in school here as well. And, um, and it's just the, the schools are great. Even if like Charles E. Bennett has struggled over the years and, and different things like that too, it's, it's still part of our community. Right. And we love having the business here and then being able to kind of support things they're trying to do whenever we can. Uh, and it, I can't, the, the sense of community here is unlike anything I've seen. We've during college and we've moved around and, um, I went to Middleburg High School because even though I was... Hey, I was, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I graduated from there in like 2002, but we um, was born here. We moved uh, kind of onto a farm closer to Middleburg, and I went to um, Middleburg High School, and then after high school and then college, we, we decided to move back. Right. But even kind of growing up and being there during some of my developmental ages, um, it... The, the community was just not quite as strong as it has felt here. Right. And now, as soon as I got involved... Um, it's just a sense of responsibility and like kind of wanting to step up and, and, and yep. really help out in any way I can has been very powerful. Yeah. I live in a subdivision out in Middleburg and, and I have a lot of good neighbors, but it doesn't feel like a town. It, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have that sort of uh, green cove and, and Keystone and, and I think orange park too. They all have a little bit of a nostalgic feel to them. It feels sort of like you're stepping back in time a little bit where like people, like you said, it's a community and people know each other. And, and I've always looked at uh, spring park coffee um, as sort of the seed that has slowly bloomed into It feels like green cove is becoming revitalized in, in a lot of ways, right? You see some development on Walnut street. Now you got a comic book shop and a uh, art shop. And, and then uh, obviously everybody knows that the clay theater at this point, you know, has turned into a venue that's, it's pretty top notch. Mm -hmm. um, even small, you see small things like, uh, you know, Ronnie's wings, God love them. They're under new management. And I think that's, that's a <laughs> step in the right direction. Um, but it seems like green cove is, is uh, capitalizing on some of the stuff that you said, the small town feel the jewel that is spring park. Like, uh, you know, if you, if you are a Clay County resident and you've not visited spring park, I would highly encourage you to come check it out. It, it, it's top notch. 
Um, so how do you, how do you manage that? You've been on the council for a while, the city council, and you're running for reelection. How do you encourage growth and, and try to develop sort of what started everybody sees, uh, everybody that I've talked to sees spring park as sort of the springboard or spring park coffee as the springboard, um, that has started this revitalization. How do you nurture that and grow it and not lose that small town community feel? That's a big question. Um, that's the one that's on everybody's mind uh, these days. Obviously, as being a small o- uh, business owner, and then whenever I go visit and travel and things like that, I don't plan my itinerary or choose where I want to live or anything around like where the nearest Taco Bell is or anything like that. You look for what is is unique to the area, yep. um, what they're bringing that is going to provide um, you know high quality product, community culture, things yep. like that that really add to a community. And that's what I would love to see more of. I know I, when we started this, these businesses, we were in our early 20s, um, mid-20s, and it really kind of took property owners working with me, giving me some opportunity. I didn't have very much money or anything like that. Um, they really kind of partnered and, and, and helped me create a way uh, to create a unique space. It's a space right. that we curated and we made it specifically for Green Cup Springs. That's why there will never be another Spring Park Coffee. Right. Or that's why we're expanding the brass tax brand because – we just think Green Cove, Spring Park is special because of Green Cove. Right. And um, when we started it, people were pretty negative on business in Green Cove being able to make it. Yeah. Um, they all said, like, you know, how if they thought I was crazy uh, because a Starbucks couldn't make it here. And, um, and I was like, well, you know, our appetite's a lot smaller. We can, we can figure it out. Right. And it still proved to be tough, but now the community's embraced it and they realize how much special it is. Like, hey, my town is made better because we have this one-of-a-kind thing. And I want more one-of-a-kind things in Green Cove. So I think um, one of the reasons that I've become so passionate is the last six years have really been working on our foundation, working on um, the elements that have either been underinvested in or things that need to happen step one to be able to build a successful town on and be able to provide services at a high level for our residents. Um, Those are boring, but really important steps well without without those things you know you and i talked a little bit as i was setting up my equipment and and you said something that that i i agree with uh local governance local governments have the power to do more um a lot more beneficial things for the people that live in the towns and the areas than than the federal level and everybody loves to to you know argue endlessly about federal level politics but the flip side of that coin is true also poor planning and bad governance at the local level can do harm not only to businesses but to the people that live in the town and the boring stuff the belt and suspenders foundational Mm -hmm. stuff if you don't get that right it doesn't matter what you do later like the the, you will not be successful in whatever you're trying to accomplish if the bait if you don't have the basics down you're constantly Paying, playing catch up, it's way more expensive to be reactionary to things like this. So yeah. we're trying to be proactive now. We've spent the last six years heavily investing into our infrastructure, our utility distribution systems, setting up these uh, funding mechanisms and things like that to be able to make sure that these things can be invested in so that they can be brought up to a level that is adequate. Right. Um, and then also like what's required by state and federal law and everything like that. Sure. Now we're really getting to the exciting part where dirt is starting to turn. There's investment in Green Cove. I want to make sure that um, through intentional, um, in- intentional governance and creating these plans and matching development and the growth with the Green Cove that we want to see and we want to preserve. Everybody says that they love the small town feel. They love our natural resources. They love the family-oriented 
atmosphere here and that it is safe and then yep. the the what our uh the safety that our our public safety provides it's a place where you can definitely raise a family we want to preserve that we want to make sure that development doesn't come in and and overrun that and conflict with the vision right. that we have for green cove Springs. so what you do is you kind of create these development zones and these um intentional policy that is going to try to make sure that the really intense uses and the things that might conflict with walkability, family friendliness, our parks, our resources and things like that, that is going to be south of town and right. southwest of town. There's going to, who knows what is going to happen with Reynolds Industrial at this point. Right. Um, that'll cross our plate at some point here in the near future. But those are going to be intense uses. Those are going to be ones yep. that would conflict with our way of life that we have decided we want to preserve here in our natural resources. We want to make sure that we create the, the, the densities and the, the restrictions and things here in our central business district that are going to allow more unique places to have an opportunity at it. Because right. when you're not competing with a Wawa for a space that's going to come available or something like that right. here in town, you, you, have, you can maybe have it be in the budget for a small business to create something unique and grow sure. and thrive. And then that's going to add culture to our central business district. And, and generally speaking, most of those places are going to be small business people who live in or very close to your community anyway, right? Yes. Like, so yeah. the people, the, the money that's being spent in your community, in a sense, is staying in your community. Right. Um, you know, you're helping someone, you know, you, you have a wife and a, you know, a family and, mm -hmm. you know, the, so when people are spending money at Spring Park Coffee, not only are they, you know, they're, they're, they're making you money, yes, but you're using that money on people who live here, right? Right. You're paying people to work at Spring Park Coffee who live and work in the community who, you know, so it, it is, it's money that is not being sucked away, you know, God love Wawa or all the other large right. yeah, chains, absolutely. but that money, the majority of that money doesn't stay here. Mm -hmm. uh, it does, in a sense, in taxes, right? Like the, they're going to pay the same sort of taxes that, that all the other businesses pay. But, you, you know, a lot of times it, it, to me, it just, and I guess this is silly, it just feels better to shop locally on certain things where you can, um, you know, there, there are certain like, you know, gear for, I have for this podcast. There's not a place locally that it could have gotten me any of this gear. Right. right? You know, unfortunately that's one of the, one of the times where I go to Amazon or I go to Adorama or, or one of the big, big uh, online retailers, but, but things like coffee, I, I think what's cool for me about, um, you guys and uh, DeFontana's Pizza and Spring Park and a, and a handful of other places now, to me, they are destination stops. When I'm passing mm -hmm. through Green Cove, if it's in the morning and I need breakfast and coffee, I'm stopping at Spring Park Coffee. Like, I'm not going to the Dunkin' Donuts. God love them. Um, but I'm, I'm going to stop at Spring Park Coffee. When I'm here for lunch at the park, I'm either going to get food from, like, Larry's Giant Subs, which is locally. It is a chain, but I know the people that own that. Or DeFontana's Pizza, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're going to stop at some of these places that we know are benefiting locally rather than go to, you know, like a Chili's or an Applebee's or, or whatever, you know. so And don't and don't get me wrong. I, I Obviously, I love things like Wawa's and, and their vast upgrades over some of our gas stations and stuff we had sure. in the past. And all the other uses, there is a place and a need for this. Right. In our city, our residents are going to need some of this stuff. The point is, is like trying to identify, you know, where is, whether it's on what parts of our corridor or what parts sure. of our city we want to interact with a business. How do you, I, I think there's room, if you do it correctly, there's room for the small businesses yeah. and the larger ones. Exactly. Um, you know, and it, yeah, none of my rant was anti, um, you know, big business or by right. any stretch of the imagination, but you do, you do want to make sure that you are, like you said, carving out a way for locally owned small businesses to have the same opportunity to compete for uh you know because they're if if spring park coffee wasn't run well and didn't offer products and services that people thought were good you would not have been around was it 10 years now i think you've been there yeah a little over yeah. 10 years uh you know if if the products and the service weren't good you wouldn't survive and, and i think what you want ideally is for government to give everybody sort of the chance to compete 
and, and offer that product and service without making regulations so thick and entangling that only the big companies have the the overhead to right. to navigate them right and, and it's a and i would imagine you know i'd love to hear from you on it but i would imagine it's a little bit of a balancing act right like how much is how much is enough how much is too much in terms of regulation and rules and you know who knows so. and, and that's exactly right if I, I one of the biggest most frustrating things over the past six years for me not only was just just dealing with the stuff that i had to feel like i had to get an honorary master's degree and, right in advanced wastewater treatment or different things right. like that. That was a big, that's like drinking from a fire hose when right. you first get started. Um, but on top of that, every development that has happened, like your Dunkin' Donuts, your Burger Kings, your different things like that, um, the city's not a developer. So right. there's private property rights. Someone's right. going to buy a property. And then those are the types of businesses that yeah. have business models that get funding easiest. Yep. Um, so for example, if you're going to start up businesses in a town, it's going to be way harder to start a brewery than it is going to be started Burger King because they know the traffic counts. That's what can justify putting that business there. The point, the, the struggle that we've had is over the past six years, sometimes things would come across the dais that I would get frustrated with, but I feel like it was a one-off. It's like, okay, we're looking through a very narrow scope at this one development. And yes, we do want it to be an improvement over what was there before, right. but how does that puzzle piece fit into the puzzle of what is future Green Cove? So right. it's like, you know, uh, I've, I've encouraged it for the longest times, like start thinking that our central business district is gonna be a little bit bigger than it was in the past because right. there's gonna be people trying to do commerce there. Um, so what does that look like? And then what does that make the corridor look like? And then we're not looking at everything as long as these plans are done, which we finally have executed our, our comprehensive plan. Our downtown master plan is nearly finished. Our parking study is just done. Now right. we're going to try to put this stuff into effect and not just put it in a drawer and right. let it sit there and collect dust. Now we know where these pieces fit and where they interact with Green Coast Springs in a way that it's not going to undermine that future that we wanted. And that was the thing that I was always the most frustrated by is like, let's, I felt like uh, we were handling everything in a one-off fashion, and I didn't know how it was contributing to what the Green Cove was going to look like. Now I think we're starting to really focus in and getting an image of what this, this Green Cove is going to look like and how we make it more walkable, continue to make it family-friendly, preserve the history and things like that too. And right. I have so much more confidence going forward over the next three years and into the future with future councils with them having that material and that, sure. that knowledge. Yeah, hopefully they, you know, because I would imagine, you know, a decent amount of money was spent to, to do those studies, right? So hopefully, hopefully whomever, you know, is at the helm uh, uses that information, like you said, and actually does something with it. So uh, speaking not necessarily as a council member, um, but just, uh, you know, Steve, Stephen Kelly, the Green Cove resident business owner, in, in your ideas, what does sort of an ideal future for Green Cove Springs look like? I think that's exactly it. I think yeah. um, it's eventually everybody wants a grocery store. They're going to want yeah. the conveniences of a Walmart nearby. They're going to want these convenient. And, and I do too. I hate having to drive to Fleming Island for some of the things that yep. I need to do my grocery shopping and, and, and whatnot. We do need that. Um, I don't think we need it here in the core of the city where our history is and sure. where our walkability is. And we're going to try to make sure that those vehicular intense um, developments, yeah. the ones that have big parking lots, the so different things like that, Let's make sure that that happens in the new development. Let's keep that on the outskirts of town where it's sure. accessible and it improves the quality of life here in Green Cove Springs, but it doesn't change what our core city and right. what our corridor looks and feels like. Yep. I still want that to be something. We're working with FDOT to try and make 
living with 17 more reasonable. Making yeah. sure that it's not so intimidating for families to cross from Walgreens to come and get a coffee or an ice cream. Or yeah, it is a wild road, man. Like it's, it's uh, you know, people people lost their mind when it, it comes to driving sometimes. So It's such a big challenge. And so that's what, the, my future Green Cove is we figured that out. We figured out how to live with 17, how sure. to have traffic calming measures and make it look like 17 also belongs to pedestrians as well. Like, so right. there's different modes of transportation that you can use to get around Green Cove Springs, encouraging walking, biking, and then plus your vehicular traffic and not making that outrageous, making it more efficient. Um, I would hope that we looked uh, into the future and we've managed to continue to invest in our parks, in our, sure. in our natural spaces, our natural resources. We're still yep. good stewards of the, the, the river. This is the most accessible part of the St. John's River from gosh up at uh, probably ortega all the way down to palatka as far as like well that's yeah there's there's one park up in the jacksonville area that's near like the san juan uh, avenue area that you can kind of get to where the water is but the, uh, as far as like a dock and actually being mm -hmm. able to like you can i think there's like a kayak launch here at spring park oh there's too. several uh yeah. you know like the, you can't do most of the jacksonville parks on uh the st john's you can't do that uh now maybe a handful over in mandarin but like as you go northern uh, more northern into Jacksonville. You don't see a lot of that. That's one of the things I like about Spring Park. Um, I, I also like that it, it's probably, to as far as I have seen, it has the longest stretch of just part of the park that is on the river. Like sometimes not even the river being accessible is sometimes less about getting in the water and just like there's there's just little swing benches you can just sit on you can come read a book get a get a coffee from uh you know spring park coffee and and just sit there and hang out and have a nice relaxing time we've had multiple birthday parties for my daughter at spring park all sorts of stuff right so i you know i can't say enough about uh spring park um but yeah i, I sort of agree with you it's like how do you juggle you know all that stuff how do you and the one thing that that is uh I don't, it's not anyone's fault, but the detriment to the stuff that's on Walnut Street is it doesn't feel like it's connected to your stretch here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it feels a little bit disconnected, and it, and it is intimidating to try to cross, you know, 17. It's not that bad, but it is sort of a pain uh, to figure out where to cross. And, and, you know, I think as the town figures out how to really make both sides of the mm -hmm. road a little more intertwined, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing, like you said, if they can figure that out. And we're working to fix that, and I think also some of that, that the – the difficulty that you see with this not feeling connected to Walnut over there, Walnut not feeling connected to say where Good Time Charlie's is, sure. and then over here where Corner Pocket is, and things like that. As you start to get your infill, um, yep. you'll have a lot of people who will, who will park and then be able to make their way. Like there's yep. not going to be a big stretch where they're just going to have to cross, you know, uh, empty City Hall to get over to patronize one thing, and then sure. they're not going to to go past another empty grass parking lot or another anything like that. There, there's going to be business and commerce going on yep. in a bunch of different areas. What it looks like is up to us to try to make sure that we make it the, the way that we look like and figuring out how parking is going to be handled in the future. Right. Um, those are, those are big issues that we're trying to tackle as well. Now um, I don't think it ever is going to be any kind of centralized parking structure in the way of like going. Vertical. Yeah. I don't even know where you would put that right. Without it being an eyesore and people, we have some it. opportunities here, but it's just such such an intense cost and yeah. i think that there's other things that we can do that are so much more low-hanging fruit yeah i think that's that's you know six seven steps down the road you get a little more exactly uh, you know a little more things a little more filled in and you start to prove out that there's enough cars to justify the cost of that you know maybe but what do i know i don't live in green cove so you know I, who am i to say what green cove should or should not do um how do you feel uh, all right here's one of the topics that that's sort of a bugaboo for a lot of folks red light cameras 
What are your thoughts on red light cameras? Now, I'll just tell you my opinion, and you know, a lot of people disagree with me. I think it's lazy policing, and I think, and I'm not saying that Green Coast Springs is doing this. I think it's an easy money grab for a lot of municipalities to just rake in some cash. Um, my big beef with them is that if I were to run a red light and a cop sees me and pulls me over, I have the ability to do two things. I have the ability to talk to the police officer and tell him any extenuating circumstances that might have happened. And I have the ability to stop and look around and take notes on what was going on so that if I have to go plead my case in court, um, <clears throat> I can do that a little more effectively. So now that my opinion that most folks disagree with is out there, what are your thoughts on red light cameras? Oh, gosh. Um, when I first moved here um, and kind of started living here and driving these streets every day, I was a bit uh, taken aback by it, um, and I thought it was excessive or, or something like that. And then as we've started to live here, um, even before I was on city council or anything like that, I started to see what it was doing to some of the semi-traffic and intense traffic through your town, because those are the ones that being, I've been on this corner here at the busiest corner in Green Cove for over 10 years now right. since we have the flower shop. Yeah, started. that's a good point. You would have a unique perspective because that really is the busiest. Those yeah. trucks, and we only have about four or five foot of easement in between our, where our customers put their butts right. and then where semi trucks come 50, 55 sure. miles an hour down that street. And uh, they're the, some of the, the worst violators of just, they'll come in a few seconds after that lights already changed. And then you see the flashing and then there's still the rest of the truck has to come through and stuff. It's scary. So they're still running the red light, even with the cameras. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, huh. I wonder if there's any way, huh? You got me thinking now. I wonder if there's any way to get statistics on what sort of vehicles are running. Well, well, we we pay attention to some of the statistics. I know it's made these interse intersections safer. When they first instant, because I was here when they first went up, and I start first started seeing the flashing lights and things like that. Um, and uh, there was a couple things that where people would panic break and do some things like that. That is, it has. I've truly seen it have an impact on traffic easing measures. Um, I think that uh, I would be more than happy to um, to take them down if I thought that we had a handle on interacting with 17 and figuring out sure. how to make that traffic less intimidating. So for you, it's less about the revenue they generate and more about the fact that you as a business owner on the busiest street corner have seen a positive impact in oh the way my gosh. drive. I, I would be very concerned if they came down without some, like we talked about before with the FDOT thing and the challenges that we have with 17 and making it feel safe along there. I've been outside there, even at our front door. And then when a semi comes back, I am like sandblasted with sand because they, sure. they do drive quick through here. And, um, and then the traffic's just getting more intense. If we had ways, like we're, we're working with FDOT to bump out some of these intersections, make it a little bit of a shorter distance for the pedestrians to cross, right. add more things that are going to slow traffic down, just like, subconscious things that they yep. don't even realize they're doing, but it's slowing the traffic down. Yep. Someone sat in front of our, one of our meetings not too long ago and was like, I've never been in a town with a 30 mile an hour speed limit. I think we need to raise those. And then the council's sitting here looking at each other and we're like, that's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do right, right. now. <laughs> we're trying to make sure that when you come through Green Cove Springs, you're, it's unfortunate. It may not be good for truckers who are trying to get from South Florida to wherever or something, but we're trying to make it better for the people who are living here and interacting with that road on a regular basis. Yeah, hopefully maybe the first coast expressway will help with that a little bit too. Uh, if you have those sort of traffic calming measures uh, in place, maybe some of the, that truck traffic will, uh, you know, feel like it's better to pay the, the tolls and go across the first coast expressway than, than to, to come through downtown green cove. Right. And the, um, and the revenue is a thing. I'm not going to act like it's, it's not, but that's definitely not the reason why we got them. 
Yeah. Um, and it's definitely not something that we couldn't overcome in another sure. creative way where we could make sure that the city continues to operate just as effectively and efficiently. But we do look at the numbers sometimes. I know it's less than, uh, and I speak to the chief all the time and we talk to him, they, they throw out most of these things. They say that the, if you receive a ticket from one of these things, it has to be no question egregious. Uh, yeah. So it's like less than half of 1% of all traffic winds up with a citation through here. Mm, like that's an interesting stat too. Yeah. I still have concern. You know, I have general concerns about uh, government right. entities taking pictures and putting cameras up because, you know, my questions then are, well, what, what other capabilities those cameras have? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I questioned Sheriff Cook on her, her press conference a ways back where she talked about having a real time crime center and she took me in and showed it, you know, showed me what it is. And, and to her credit, like she will, she will answer questions directly. I like Sheriff Cook. I think Sheriff Cook's mm -hmm. doing an effective job. My concern is, you know, if we ever get another sheriff who, who is more like the previous sheriff, right? right. I'm not going to name, but everybody knows who I'm talking about. When you get someone who is a bad actor with some of the power that cameras, uh, you know, give the government, you know, I have concerns, right? But that's an interesting, I, I've never, I've never actually talked to anybody who owns a business where the red light cameras have been impactful in a positive way. So that's a different, I, I, was, different I don't want to be on that. I was, that's the one thing that in, in one of my meetings I said is I don't know if I want to continue operating on this corner knowing that there's nothing that's trying to calm that traffic down. Sure. Now you can, you can, for example, post officers on these corners all day. Well, the problem day. that you have with that little stretch of 17, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on it, is that that's where sort of the straight shot down to that light where you take a left to go. Right. So people sort of, you know, I've seen it myself. People sort of gun it and they're trying to, even with the red light cameras, it's like, you know, the, these are the same idiots that would probably try to go across train tracks when they know a train's coming if they're in a hurry, right? I like, saw you know. one just yesterday. We were pulling through that uh, stop sign going somewhere or the the light here at Ferris in um, 17 and there was a gentleman getting ready to cross the street and it was not just one car, but two cars were grossly behind the red light on that. Yeah. And uh, he had he had already crossed the other two lanes and was stopped in the middle of 17 waiting for those two cars to finish going across because that's how bad they were sure. going through there. And then he continued to make the rest of the way there. But I was like, I'm glad he was paying attention, older gentleman. I'm glad he was paying attention because we were. I, that's the last thing I wanted to watch was that happen right. in front of yeah, me that crazy. day. Um, but <laughs> at any day. But, that yeah, so from a safety perspective, I would feel – a hundred percent better about it. And I would definitely support bringing them down. If I thought that we had, um, if I had something to make me feel a little bit better, maybe whenever this expressway is complete, like you said, it'll create yeah. maybe a bypass for some of this intense truck traffic and the ones that seem to not want to slow down to 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour through the city. Maybe that'll create some of those easing measures that'll help us be able to. Yeah, hopefully. Well, yeah. you know, I, and I think, uh, there's gotta be a way that we can enable, um, you know, police departments to sort of police that sort of traffic and disincentivize that reckless behavior without the red light cameras. That's just always been my thought, right? But I don't, you know, the problem for me is I, I live in unincorporated Middleburg, so there are no red light cameras anywhere else in the county. It's just, uh, you know, Orange Park and, and Green Cove, I believe, that, that have mm -hmm. them. So, you know, I don't, I don't have a real dog in the fight. I, so it's easy for me to, like, <laughs> bag on no, it and say of, that of it's course. <laughs> yeah, no, good. and that's true. And then I think... Less than half of one percent of all traffic winds up with one of these citations, which just is a cure. It shows you how much that they're. If there's even a question, it's all reviewed by a sworn officer. It's not. Uh, um, I think back in the day, some of these places were putting these cameras up, and they just had a regular clerk or whoever it is going sure. through all these. Um, and then on top of that, I think it's less than, or around ten percent of all the half of one percent are Green Cove Springs residents. 
every time I've ever oh, heard that's anything, interesting. Yeah. yeah, everything I've ever huh. heard, if, if I've ever had a, a negative conversation around um, red light cameras with anyone in the past six years, never sat down and had a conversation from someone who lives in the city limits. Or city oh, that's a good point. Cause I don't live in the city limits either. And I, right. you know, I'm pretty negative on them. Um, but I'm also an odd bird when it comes to some of those things. I'm negative on things. Uh, you know, I've, I've always told people like, you've got to look four or five steps ahead sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, not to say that you're not right. Like just in general with right. people. So, all right, now we've got, I think all the, the general questions out of the way, I got the two real hard questions for you. <laughs> uh, are you an iPhone or an Android guy? Oh, iPhone. Okay, all right, good. Yeah. That's the correct answer. <laughs> and I know you're a coffee guy. You got a lot of tea and stuff, but I'm going to ask you, if you had to drink a soda, are you going to drink Coke or Pepsi? Ooh. Coke. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, two right answers. All right. <laughs> hey, everybody so far on the podcast, this this go-round has, uh, has said Coke and, and iPhone, so I'm pr pretty excited um, that people are getting the answers correct. So last thing I have for you um, Give the voters of Green Cove a 30-second elevator pitch as to why they should keep you on the city council. Uh, I'd, if I had to, this is um, the past six years I've been preparing, I think, for this last term. Um, I do think that when you first start out, um, you have a lot to learn. Uh, we have a lot that we manage here in the, for a small town, and we're the, the biggest one in Clay County now. We're right. the biggest city in, Green, uh, in Clay County. Um, we manage our own electric distribution system. We manage our own sewer, wastewater, solid waste. Sure. Um, but uh, electric distribution is a whole other thing that we've been investing tons into, and it's greatly improved from where it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, I've spent the last six years really familiarizing myself with that so that we can become more efficient and effective because things are coming across our dais and are approaching the city faster than they ever have. And I do feel more equipped to be able to be prepared and kind of be that um, in-between between what the residents want and our lifestyle here and development. Sure. Um, making sure that that development, holding developers accountable, making sure that their development is going to fit well in our city center and in our corridor. And I feel so prepared now for the next three years that I would be heartbroken if I couldn't continue. And I would stay involved in some way or another. I'm right. Obviously, my businesses are here. I'm going to live here. Um, forever. Um, but I do think that we can be, I can be highly effective in this position. Um, I do think if anybody has any questions or anything like that or concerns or anything that they think that they may not align with, with me or anything like that, I would encourage them come spend half an hour, uh, talk to me tomorrow. I'll be in the coffee. Well, I don't know when this comes out, but every Wednesday I've been in the coffee shop, right. uh, kind of doing meet and greets and things like that. And, um, if you guys hit me up on Facebook or do anything like that, I'll sit and, and explain my philosophy sure. and then also listen to your philosophy because honestly, that's who I'm here representing. We all have five seats that are all citywide. So no matter where you live in the city, you can come to any council member, give us your concerns so that I can take that into my next meeting and in future meetings and everything. And then I can also be a voice for you as well um, because this is my family that has to live here too, but your family has to live here. Right. We all want to make it. I want to enjoy the Green Cove Springs when I'm 60 that I have been sitting here seeing for the past 10, 15, 20 years. I want to preserve that and I want to make it effective. I want the growth to happen, but I want it to be intentional and I want it to happen where we want it to happen. And I don't want it to overrun what we're trying to do here. There you go, folks. Uh, Stephen Kelly, uh, coffee entrepreneur, uh, <laughs> current city council member running for re-election. Uh, check him out. I'll, I'll put the link to his Facebook page, websites uh, in the show notes. And, uh, you know, Stephen, once again, appreciate you making some time for me, man. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it.